The Procession of Life from Mosses from an Old Man's and Other Stories by Nathaniel Hawthorne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bob Newfeld. Life figures itself to me as a festal or funereal procession. All of us have our places and are to move onward under the direction of the chief marshal. The grand difficulty results from the invariably mistaken principles on which the deputy marshals seek to arrange this immense concourse of people, so much more numerous than those that train their interminable length through streets and highways in times of political excitement. Their scheme is ancient, far beyond the memory of man or even the record of history, and has hitherto been very little modified by the innate sense of something wrong and the dim perception of better methods that have disquieted all the ages through which the procession has taken its march. Its members are classified by the merest external circumstances, and thus are more certain to be thrown out of their true positions than if no principle of arrangement were attempted. In one part of the procession we see men of landed estate or moneyed capital gravely keeping each other company for the preposterous reason that they chance to have a similar standing in the tax-gatherer's book. Trades and professions march together with scarcely a more real bond of union. In this manner, it cannot be denied, people are disentangled from the mass and separated into various classes according to certain apparent relations. All have some artificial badge which the world, and themselves among the first, learn to consider as a genuine characteristic. Fixing our attention on such outside shows of similarity or difference, we lose sight of those realities by which nature, fortune, fate, or providence has constituted for every man a brotherhood wherein it is one great office of human wisdom to classify him. When the mind has once accustomed itself to a proper arrangement of the procession of life, or a true classification of society, even though merely speculative, there is thenceforth a satisfaction which pretty well suffices for itself, without the aid of any actual reformation in the order of march. For instance, assuming to myself the power of marshalling the aforesaid procession, I direct a trumpeter to send forth a blast loud enough to be heard from hence to China, and a herald, with world-pervading voice, to make proclamation for a certain class of mortals to take their places. What shall be their principle of union? After all, an external one, in comparison with many that might be found, yet far more real than those which the world has selected for a similar purpose. Let all who are afflicted with like physical diseases form themselves into ranks. Our first attempt at classification is not very successful. It may gratify the pride of aristocracy to reflect that disease, more than any other circumstance of human life, pays due observance to the distinctions which rank and wealth and poverty and loneliness have established among mankind. Some maladies are rich and precious, and only to be acquired by the right of inheritance or purchased with gold. Of this kind is the gout, which serves as a bond of brotherhood to the purple-visaged gentry, who obey the herald's voice and painfully hobble from all civilized regions of the globe 
to take their post in the grand procession. In mercy to their toes, let us hope that the march may not be long. The dyspeptics, too, are people of good standing in the world. For them the earliest salmon is caught on our eastern rivers, and the shy woodcock stains the dry leaves with his blood in his remotest haunts, and the turtle comes from the far Pacific islands to be gobbled up in soup. They can afford to flavor all their dishes with indolence, which, in spite of the general opinion, is a sauce more exquisitely piquant than appetite won by exercise. Apoplexy is another highly respectable disease. We will rank together all who have the symptom of dizziness in the brain, and as fast as any drop by the way, supply their places with new members of the board of aldermen. On the other hand, here come whole tribes of people whose physical lives are but a deteriorated variety of life and themselves a meaner species of mankind. So sad an effect has been wrought by the talented breath of cities, scanty and unwholesome food, destructive modes of labor, and the lack of those moral supports that might partially have counteracted such bad influences. Behold here a train of house-painters, all afflicted with a peculiar sort of colic. Next in place we will marshal those workmen in cutlery, who have breathed a fatal disorder into their lungs with the impalpable dust of steel. Tailors and shoemakers, being sedentary men, will chiefly congregate into one part of the procession and march under similar banners of disease. But among them we may observe here and there a sickly student who has left his health between the leaves of classic volumes, and clerks likewise who have caught their deaths on high official stools, and men of genius, too, who have written sheet after sheet with pens dipped in their hearts' blood. These are a wretched, quaking, short-breathed set. But what is this cloud of pale-cheeked, slender girls, who disturb the ear with the multiplicity of their short, dry coughs? They are seamstresses who have plied the daily and nightly needle in the service of master tailors and close-fisted contractors, until now it is almost time for each to hem the borders of her own shroud. Consumption points their place in the procession. With their sad sisterhood are intermingled many youthful maidens, who have sickened in aristocratic mansions, and for whose aid science has unveilingly searched its volumes and whom breathless love has watched. In our ranks the rich maiden and the poor seamstress may walk arm in arm. We might find innumerable other instances where the bond of mutual disease, not to speak of nation-sweeping pestilence, embraces high and low, and makes the king a brother of the clown. But it is not hard to own that disease is the natural aristocrat, let him keep his state, and have his established orders of rank, and wear his royal mantle of the colour of a fever flush, and let the noble and healthy boast their own physical infirmities, and display their symptoms as the badges of high station. All things considered, these are as proper subjects of human pride as any relations of human rank that men can fix upon. Sound again, thou deep-breathed trumpeter, and herald, 
with thy voice of might, shout forth another summons that shall reach the old baronial castles of Europe, and the rudest cabin of our western wilderness. What class is next to take its place in the procession of mortal life? Let it be those whom the gifts of intellect have united in a noble brotherhood. Aye, this is a reality, before which the conventional distinctions of society melt away like a vapour when we would grasp it with the hand. Were Byron now alive and burns, the first would come from his ancestral abbey, flinging aside, although unwillingly, the inherited honours of a thousand years, to take the arm of the mighty peasant who grew immortal while he stooped behind his plough. These are gone, but the hall, the farmer's fireside, the hut, perhaps the palace, the counting-room, the workshop, the village, the city, life's high places and low ones, may all produce their poets, whom a common temperament pervades like an electric sympathy. Peer or ploughman, we will muster them pair by pair and shoulder to shoulder. Even society, in its most artificial state, consents to this arrangement. These factory girls from Lowell shall mate themselves with the pride of drawing-rooms and literary circles, the bluebells in fashion's nosegay, the Sapphos and Montagues and Nortons of the age. Other modes of intellect bring together as strange companies. Silk-gowned professor of languages, give your arm to this sturdy blacksmith, and deem yourself honoured by the conjunction, though you behold him grimy from the anvil. All varieties of human speech are like his mother tongue to this rare man, and discriminately let those take their places, of whatever rank they come, who possess the kingly gifts to lead armies or to sway a people, nature's generals, her lawgivers, her kings, and with them also the deep philosophers who think the thought in one generation that is to revolutionize society in the next. With the hereditary legislator, in whom eloquence is a far-descended attainment, a rich echo repeated by powerful voices from Cicero downward, we will match some wondrous backwoodsman, who has caught a wild power of language from the breeze among his native forest boughs. But we may safely leave these brethren and sisterhood to settle their own congenialities. Our ordinary distinctions become so trifling, so impalpable, so ridiculously visionary, in comparison with a classification founded on truth, that all talk about the matter is immediately a commonplace. Yet, the longer I reflect, the less am I satisfied with the idea of forming a separate class of mankind on the basis of high intellectual power. At best, it is but a higher development of innate gifts common to all. Perhaps, moreover, he whose genius appears deepest and truest excels his fellows in nothing save the knack of expression. He throws out occasionally a lucky hint at truths of which every human soul is profoundly, though unutterably, conscious. Therefore, though we suffer the brotherhood of intellect to march onward together, it may be doubted whether their peculiar relation will not begin to vanish as soon as the procession shall have passed beyond the circle of this present world, while we do not classify for eternity.
and next let the trumpet pour forth a funereal wail and the herald's voice give breath in one vast cry to all the groans and grievous utterances that are audible throughout the earth we appeal now to the sacred bond of sorrow and summon the great multitude who labor under similar afflictions to take their places in the march how many a heart that would have been insensible to any other call has responded to the doleful accents of that voice it has gone far and wide and high and low and left scarcely a mortal roof unvisited indeed the principle is only too universal for our purpose and unless we limit it we will quite break up our classification of mankind and convert the whole procession into a funeral train we will therefore be at some pains to discriminate here comes a lonely rich man he has built a noble fabric for his dwelling-house with a front of stately architecture and marble floors and doors of precious woods the whole structure is as beautiful as a dream and as substantial as the native rock but the visionary shapes of a long posterity for whom this mansion was intended have faded into nothingness since the death of the founder's only son the rich man gives a glance at the sable garb in one of the splendid mirrors of his drawing-room and descending a flight of lofty steps instinctively offers his arm to yonder poverty-stricken widow in the rusty black bonnet and with a check apron over her patched gown the sailor-boy who was her sole earthly stay was washed overboard in a late tempest the couple from the palace and the almshouse are but the types of thousands more who represent the dark tragedy of life and seldom quarrel for the upper parts grief is such a leveller with its own dignity and its own humility that the noble and the peasant the beggar and the monarch will waive their pretensions to external rank without the officiousness of interference on our part if pride the influence of the world's false distinctions remain in the heart then sorrow lacks the earnestness which makes it holy and reverend it loses its reality and becomes a miserable shadow on this ground we have an opportunity to assign over multitudes who would willingly claim places here to other parts of the procession if the mourner have anything dearer than his grief he must seek his true position elsewhere there are so many unsubstantial sorrows which the necessity of our mortal state begets on idleness that an observer casting aside sentiment is sometimes led to question whether there be any real woe except absolute physical suffering and the loss of closest friends a crowd who exhibit what they deem to be broken hearts and among them many lovelorn maids and bachelors and men of disappointed ambition in arts and politics and the poor who were once rich and who have sought to be rich in vain the great majority of these may ask admittance into some other fraternity there is no room here perhaps we may institute a separate class where such unfortunates will naturally fall into the procession meanwhile let them stand aside and patiently await their time if our trumpeter can borrow a note from the doomsday trumpet blast let him sound it now 
the dread alarum should make the earth quake to its centre for the herald is about to address mankind with a summons to which even the purest mortal may be sensible of some faint responding echo in his breast in many bosoms it will awaken a still small voice more terrible than its own reverberating uproar the hideous appeal has swept around the globe come all ye guilty ones and rank yourselves in accordance with the brotherhood of crime this indeed is an awful summons i almost tremble to look at the strange partnerships that begin to be formed reluctantly but by the invincible necessity of like to like in this part of the procession a forger from the state prison seizes the arm of a distinguished financier how indignantly does the latter plead his fair reputation upon change and insist that his operations by their magnificence of scope were removed into quite another sphere of morality than those of his pitiful companion but let him cut the connection if he can here comes a murderer with his clanking chains and pairs himself horrible to tell with as pure and upright a man in all observable respects as ever partook of the consecrated bread and wine he is one of those perchance the most hopeless of all sinners who practise such an exemplary system of outward duties that even a deadly crime may be hidden from their own sight and remembrance under this unreal frostwork yet he now finds his place why do that pair of flaunting girls with the pert affected laugh and the sly leer at the bystanders intrude themselves into the same rank with yonder decorous matron and that somewhat prudish maiden surely these poor creatures born to vice as their sole and natural inheritance can be no fit associates for women who have been guarded round about by all the proprieties of domestic life and who could not err unless they first created the opportunity oh no it must be merely the impertinence of those unblushing hussies and we can only wonder how such respectable ladies should have responded to a summons that was not meant for them we shall make short work of this miserable class each member of which is entitled to grasp any other member's hand by that vile degradation wherein guilty error has buried all alike the foul fiend to whom it properly belongs must relieve us of our loathsome task let the bond-servants of sin pass on but neither man nor woman in whom good predominates will smile or sneer nor bid the rogues march be played in derision of their array feeling within their breasts a shuddering sympathy which at least gives token of the sin that might have been they will thank god for any place in the grand procession of human existence save among those most wretched ones many however will be astonished at the fatal impulse that drags them thitherward nothing is more remarkable than the various deceptions by which guilt conceals itself from the perpetrator's conscience and oftenest perhaps by the splendour of its garments statesmen rulers generals and all men who act over an extensive sphere are most liable to be deluded in this way 
they commit wrong devastation and murder on so grand a scale that it impresses them as speculative rather than actual but in our procession we find them linked in detestable conjunction with the meanest criminals whose deeds have the vulgarity of petty details here the effect of circumstance and accident is done away and a man finds his rank according to the spirit of his crime in whatever shape it may have been developed we have called the evil now let us call the good the trumpet's brazen throat should pour heavenly music over the earth and the herald's voice go forth with the sweetness of an angel's accents as if to summon each upright man to his reward but how is this does none answer to the call not one for the just the pure the true and any who might most worthily obey it shrink sadly back as most conscious of error and imperfection then let the summons be to those whose pervading principle is love this classification will embrace all the truly good and none in whose souls there exists not something that may expand itself into a heaven both of well-doing and felicity the first that presents himself is a man of wealth who has bequeathed the bulk of his property to a hospital his ghost methinks would have a better right here than his living body but here they come the genuine benefactors of their race some have wandered about the earth with pictures of bliss in their imagination and with hearts that shrank sensitively from the idea of pain and woe yet have studied all varieties of misery that human nature can endure the prison the insane asylum the squalid chamber of the almshouse the manufactory where the demon of machinery annihilates the human soul and the cotton-field where god's image becomes a beast of burden to these and every other scene where man wrongs or neglects his brother the apostles of humanity have penetrated this missionary black with india's burning sunshine shall give his arm to a pale-faced brother who has made himself familiar with the infected alleys and loathsome haunts of vice in one of our own cities the generous founder of a college shall be the partner of a maiden lady of narrow substance one of whose good deeds it has been to gather a little school of orphan children if the mighty merchant whose benefactions are reckoned by thousands of dollars deem himself worthy let him join the procession with her whose love has proved itself by watchings at the sick-bed and all those lowly offices which bring her into actual contact with disease and wretchedness and with those whose impulses have guided them to benevolent actions we will rank others to whom providence has assigned a different tendency and different powers men who have spent their lives in generous and holy contemplation for the human race those who by a certain heavenliness of spirit have purified the atmosphere around them and thus supplied a medium in which good and high things may be projected and performed give to these a lofty place among the benefactors of mankind although no deed such as the world calls deeds may be recorded of them there are some individuals of whom we cannot conceive it proper that they should apply their hands to any earthly instrument or work out any definite act and others 
perhaps not less high, to whom it is an essential attribute to labor in body as well as spirit for the welfare of their brethren. Thus, if we find a spiritual sage whose unseen, inestimable influence has exalted the moral standard of mankind, we will choose for this companion some poor laborer who has wrought for love in the potato-field of a neighbor poorer than himself. We have summoned this various multitude, and to the credit of our nature it is a large one, on the principle of love. It is singular, nevertheless, to remark the shyness that exists among many members of the present class, all of whom we might expect to recognize one another by the freemasonry of mutual goodness, and to embrace like brethren, giving God thanks for such various specimens of human excellence. But it is far otherwise. Each sect surrounds its own righteousness with a hedge of thorns. It is difficult for the good Christian to acknowledge the good pagan, almost impossible for the good Orthodox to grasp the hand of the good Unitarian, leaving to their Creator to settle the matters in dispute, and giving their mutual efforts strongly and trustingly to whatever right thing is too evident to be mistaken. Then again, though the heart be large, yet the mind is often of such moderate dimensions as to be exclusively filled up with one idea. When a good man has long devoted himself to a particular kind of beneficence, to one species of reform, he is apt to become narrowed into the limits of the path wherein he treads, and to fancy that there is no other good to be done on earth but that self-same good to which he has put his hand, and in the very mode that best suits his own conceptions. All else is worthless. His scheme must be wrought out by the united strength of the whole world's stock of love, or the world is no longer worthy of a position in the universe. Moreover, powerful truth, being the rich grape-juice expressed from the vineyard of the ages, has an intoxicating quality when imbibed by any save a powerful intellect, and often, as it were, impels the quaffer to quarrel in his cups. For such reasons, strange to say, it is harder to contrive a friendly arrangement of these brethren of love and righteousness in the procession of life than to unite even the wicked who, indeed, are chained together by their crimes. The fact is too preposterous for tears, too lugubrious for laughter. But let good men push and elbow one another as they may during their earthly march, all will be peace among them, when the honourable array or their procession shall tread on heavenly ground. There they will doubtless find that they have been working each for the other's cause, and that every well-delivered stroke, which with an honest purpose any mortal struck, even for a narrow object, was indeed stricken for the universal cause of good. Their own view may be bounded by country, creed, profession, the diversities of individual character, but above them all is the breadth of providence. How many who have deemed themselves antagonists will smile hereafter when they look back upon the world's wide harvest field and perceive that, in unconscious brotherhood, they were helping to bind the self-same sheep? But come, the sun is hastening westward, 
while the march of human life that never paused before is delayed by our attempt to rearrange its order it is desirable to find some comprehensible principle that shall render our task easier by bringing thousands into the ranks where hitherto we have brought one therefore let the trumpet if possible split its brazen throat with a louder note than ever and the herald summon all mortals who from whatever cause have lost or never found their proper places in the world obedient to this call a great multitude come together most of them with a listless gait betokening weariness of soul yet with a gleam of satisfaction in their faces at a prospect of at length reaching those positions which hitherto they have vainly sought but here will be another disappointment for we can attempt no more than merely to associate in one fraternity all who are afflicted with the same vague trouble some great mistake in life is the chief condition of admittance into this class here are members of the learned professions whom providence endowed with special gifts for the plough the forge and the wheelbarrow or for the routine of unintellectual business we will assign to them as partners in the march those lowly labourers and handicraftsmen who have pined as with a dying thirst after the unattainable fountains of knowledge the latter have lost less than their companions yet more because they deem it infinite perchance the two species of unfortunates may comfort one another here are quakers with the instinct of battle in them and men of war who should have worn the broad brim arthur shall be ranked here whom some freak of nature making game of her poor children had imbued with the confidence of genius and strong desire of fame but has favoured with no corresponding power and others whose lofty gifts were unaccompanied with the faculty of expression or any of that earthly machinery by which ethereal endowments must be manifested to mankind all these therefore are melancholy laughing-stocks next here are honest and well-intentioned persons who by a want of tact by inaccurate perceptions by a distorting imagination have been kept continually at cross-purposes with the world and bewildered upon the path of life let us see if they can confine themselves within the line of our procession in this class likewise we must assign places to those who have encountered that worst of ill success a higher fortune than their abilities could vindicate writers actors painters the pets of the day but whose laurels wither unredewed amid the hoary hair politicians whom some malicious contingency of affairs has thrust into conspicuous station where while the world stands gazing at them the dreary consciousness of imbecility makes them curse their birth hour to such men we give for a companion him whose rare talents which perhaps require a revolution for their exercise are buried in the tomb of sluggish circumstance not far from these we must find room for one whose success has been of the wrong kind the man who should have lingered in the cloisters of a university digging new treasures out of the herculaneum of antique lore diffusing depth and accuracy of literature throughout his country and thus making for himself a great and quiet fame 
but the outward tendencies around him have proved too powerful for his inward nature and have drawn him into the arena of, of political tumult there to contend at disadvantage whether front to front or side by side with the brawny giants of actual life he becomes it may be a name for brawling parties to bandy to and fro a legislator of the union a governor of his native state an ambassador to the courts of kings or queens and the world may deem him a man of happy stars but not so the wise and not so himself when he looks through his experience and sighs to miss that fitness the one invaluable touch which makes all things true and real so much achieved yet how abortive is his life whom shall we choose for his companion some weak-framed blacksmith perhaps whose delicacy of muscle might have suited a tailor's shop-board better than the anvil shall we bid the trumpet sound again it is hardly worth the while there remain a few idle men of fortune tavern and grog-shop loungers lazzaroni old bachelors decaying maidens and people of crooked intellect or temper all of whom may find their like or some tolerable approach to it in the plentiful diversity of our latter class there too as his ultimate destiny must we rank the dreamer who all his life long has cherished the idea that he was peculiarly apt for something but never could determine what it was and there the most unfortunate of men whose purpose it has been to enjoy life's pleasures but to avoid a manful struggle with its toil and sorrow the remainder if any may connect themselves with whatever rank of the procession they shall find best adapted to their tastes and conscience the worst possible fate would be to remain behind shivering in the solitude of time while all the world is on the move towards eternity our attempt to classify society is now complete the result may be anything but perfect yet better to give it the very lowest praise than the antique rule of the herald's office or the modern one of the tax-gatherer whereby the accidents and superficial attributes with which the real nature of individuals has least to do are acted upon as the deepest characteristics of mankind our task is done now let the grand procession move yet pause a while we had forgotten the chief marshal hark that world-wide swell of solemn music with the clang of a mighty bell breaking forth through its regulated uproar announces his approach he comes a severe sedate immovable dark rider waving his truncheon of universal sway as he passes along the lengthened line on the pale horse of the revelation it is death who else could assume the guidance of a procession that comprehends all humanity and if some among these many millions should deem themselves classed amiss yet let them take to their hearts the comfortable truth that death levels us all into one great brotherhood and that another state of being will surely rectify the wrong of this then breathe thy wail upon the earth's wailing wind thou band of melancholy music made up of every sigh that the human heart unsatisfied has uttered 
there is yet triumph in thy tones and now we move beggars in their rags and kings trailing the real purple in the dust the warrior's gleaming helmet the priest in his sable robe the hoary grandsire who has run life's circle and come back to childhood the ruddy schoolboy with his golden curls frisking along the march the artisan's stuff jacket the noble star-decorated coat the whole presenting a motley spectacle yet with a dusky grandeur brooding over it onward onward into the dimness where the lights of time which have blazed along the procession are flickering in their sockets and whither we know not and death hitherto our leader deserts us by the wayside as the tramp of our innumerable footsteps echoes beyond his sphere he knows not more than we our destined goal but god who made us knows and will not leave us on our toilsome and doubtful march either to wander in infinite uncertainty or to perish by the way end of the procession of life